The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome back, patriots. I'm your host, Ron Kern, and I'm super excited that you're here with me on the show's 16th episode. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen, learn, and experience the people, places, battles, and and all that we discuss about the American Revolution. Hopefully by now you've recovered from your Thanksgiving feast, and, and I hope that your turkey day was blessed with family and friends. I actually spent it with my family at my brother's house and enjoyed a turkey that we raised, and it was pretty low-key, so I was pretty happy with that. Last year, I was super sick, and I spent four days in bed, and I missed Thanksgiving completely. So I feel pretty darn blessed this year, and I hope that you do as well. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and it amazes me how many episodes some of them have. Some some have hundreds, and others with thousands of shows. On one hand, I wish that I could have that many, as it would just mean that there'd be more stories and information that would be available to learn and educate yourself on. But on the other hand, it's just frankly impossible for me to pump out a new show every day or even every week. My goal is to have one to two bonus episodes and one Revolutionary War timeline episode per month. Remember that a bonus episode is about a battle or an event or a person relating to the American Revolution, but it may not flow or be in the timeline or near the timeline that we're talking about. So anyway, those are just basically bonus episodes. So check out all of those bonus episodes. As mentioned in a couple shows ago, for every one minute of the show you listen to, on average, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes of me researching and compiling. So a 30-minute episode to listen to is about eight or nine hours of research for me. I am not complaining. I love doing it. It just helps explain why it takes me so much longer uh, to get episodes out. I also think it might take me longer because I pull from archives and actual documents and scour state historical archives looking for the primary sources. I don't just Google an event and read you what pops up. Um, This is part of the reason why I can't put out a new show out weekly, but I will press forward and do the best that I can. Now, this episode is packed, so I'm going to stop rambling and let's dive right in. Okay, the last episode was a big one, the topic at least, right? We discussed in super detail about the Boston Massacre, and I hope you had a chance to visit the show notes page on the website, patriotpowerpodcast.com. I provided a lot of photos, videos, documents, paintings, all of that I think you're really going to enjoy. Oh, and I also included a picture of what the area looks like right now, today, where the Boston Massacre took place. So as well known as the Boston Massacre is, we're going to cover a couple events that led up to another big event, the Boston Tea Party. Initially, I was going to combine these events and the Boston Tea Party in one episode. 
But I quickly realized that the Boston Tea Party and the Tea Act really needs an entire show dedicated to it. So our next show is going to cover the Tea Act and the Boston Tea Party. But for today, we're going to cover a couple pretty cool things that, that most people don't know about and they're rarely talked about. So, however, providing some foundation on what led up to the Boston Tea Party is really important. So, We'll be covering the Battle of Alamance and the Gatsby Affair today. Knowing what happened prior to big or well-known events is not only important, I think it's crucial. Knowing these things puts you in their shoes and it helps us understand the why and what their thinking might have been and the motivation behind them. The Boston Massacre took place in March of 1770 and although opposition and the ring of freedom from England was continuing to escalate, it was relatively quiet for over a year. That silence, however, changed in May of 1771 when the Battle of Alamance took place. Have you ever heard of it? Most have not, which is why I'm going to talk about it. This is considered a pre-revolutionary war event and is rarely discussed or even listed if you search for a Revolutionary War timeline. But the sentiments behind this battle are congruent to what was taking place in Boston and the feelings that many colonists had at the time. The Battle of Alamance is named after a large creek near the battlefield, the Great Alamance Creek. And for perspective, its location is near present-day Burlington, North Carolina. I have lots of photos of the actual location on our show notes. Some consider this battle the start of the Revolutionary War. I, I think it's interesting how many things are labeled as the start of the war, right? Lexington and Concord was the start of the Revolutionary War. Nope, it was the Boston Massacre. Nope, it was the Boston Tea Party. Nope, it was the Gatsby Affair or something else, right? Personally, I think it's pretty hard to identify an exact date, an hour, battle, or even a single event or person that, quote, started the revolution. It's a lot of things that accumulated over time in many colonies and countries and collectively led to the actual war. Revolutions as a whole have taken place for countless centuries, and with each one, they take time to develop and gather the speed and force it takes to make a significant change in the government. I think most people say the, quote, start of the Revolutionary War is the one big event that they can remember being taught in school. I don't know. You be the judge. Either way, the Battle of Alamance took place in North Carolina, and it all started with Royal Governor William Tryon. He asserted himself on behalf of England. Now, Tryon was the governor of North Carolina from 1764 to 1771. He then later became governor of New York from 1771 to 1777. As we continue our journey of the revolution, you're going to hear his name quite a bit, especially with the countless events that took place in New York before and during the actual war. So Tryon assembled about a thousand troops and marched to North Carolina in an effort to combat the uprisings that had been taking place over the last few years there. These people, oftentimes labeled regulators, were interrupting court proceedings, not paying taxes, 
harassed government officials, and they weren't paying fines imposed for these offenses. Tryon wanted to stop all of that. Interrupting courts, harassing officials, and not paying taxes? Does this sound familiar? Tryon and his thousand troops showed up near Alamance Creek, as that is where 1,400 to 2,000 regulators had set up their camp. The regulators wanted to have more troops than the governor did, and with about two times as many, they thought that might help oblige Tryon to give in and remove some taxes and stop doing what the regulators felt were unconstitutional. And really, they were there to hopefully get some concessions from him. Tryon's troops lined up in formation and marched to the camp, very well organized, and they were ready to roll. The regulators weren't so, well, streamlined. It was kind of chaotic. Uh, they're pretty much in disarray, and I think that's likely because they did not have any clear leadership. They weren't too worried about an actual attack since they had so, man, so many more soldiers than Tryon did. It just wasn't a big concern. So, there they are, getting closer to one another. Tryon had written a statement, gave it to his aide-de-camp to go to the regulators and read it. And the statement that was read aloud to the 1,400 to 2,000 regulators is as follows. To those who style themselves regulators, in reply to your petition of yesterday, I am to acquaint you that I have ever been attentive to the interest of your county and to every individual residing therein. I lament the fatal necessity to which you have now reduced me by withdrawing yourselves from the mercy of the crown and from the laws of your country. To require you, who are now assembled as regulators, to quietly lay down your arms, surrender up your leaders, to the laws of your country and rest on the leniency of the government. By accepting these terms within one hour from the delivery of this dispatch, you will prevent an effusion of blood as you are at this time in a state of rebellion against your king, your country, and your laws. If you like my podcast and what I'm doing, and you want to support it, I have a few ways that you can do that. Word of mouth is certainly the best way to advertise, so please tell your friends and family about this podcast. It's kid-friendly, too, so you can share it with teachers and schools if you want to. Podcasts that have a lot of reviews are just found easier. So if you have a few seconds, and literally that's all it takes, go to the bottom of my podcast, click the number of stars that you feel it is warranted, and that's it. You can write something if you want, but that's not necessary. It literally takes you just a few seconds. Lastly, we have some pretty cool patriotic gear on our newly launched online store. We have mugs, t-shirts with famous and important revolutionary quotes. Thanks for your consideration. And now, let's get back to the podcast. While this was being read, and shortly after, the regulators moved forward. It was quite clear that Tryon's statement wasn't going to change anything, and due to the fact that 60 minutes had elapsed, he sent a final message to them a few hours later. The final message before the battle said, Gentlemen and regulators, those of you who are not too far committed should desist and quietly return to your homes. Those of you who have laid yourselves liable 
should submit without resistance. I and others promise to obtain for you the best possible terms. The governor will grant you nothing. You are unprepared for war. You have no cannon. You have no military training. You have no commanding officers to lead you in battle. You have no ammunition. You will be defeated. If you compare the first statement versus the last one, the difference in tone, words, and threats are strikingly different. It's like the first one, please just do what you're told and all will be forgiven. Then, since I didn't comply, all niceties and being cordial were clearly off the table. And that seems to be a consistent theme from England, as you'll see if you haven't picked up on that already. The regulators started to negotiate with Tryon and wanted to exchange seven or so regulators with two militia that they had captured a couple days before. Tryon agreed, but then noticed he was being flanked or surrounded by some of the regulators. Reverend David Caldwell and Robert Thompson left Tryon's camp as they were trying to negotiate a truce. So you have these two men walking over to Tryon's camp, trying to negotiate a truce, doesn't seem to work. The two men walk back towards the regulators and we're about halfway between the two opposing armies, I'll call them, when Tryon captured Thompson. Tryon then grabbed a musket from one of his men and killed Thompson right then and there. Immediately after that, he knew that he had just made a very bad decision, a decision made in anger. So he sent a white flag as a truce, as a gesture. The flag bearer, whose name was Donald Malcolm, he was shot at by the regulators, but not hit. The early part of the battle was mimicked by the regulators fighting Indian style, which means they were behind trees, logs, boulders, and they would shoot from there. Now, George Washington used this exact method countless times in future battles, as it was pretty obvious that going head-to-head -head with the British Army would not have ever worked. Two brothers, both regulators, actually captured one of three cannons that Governor Tryon had brought with him, which sounds fabulous, but what do you do with a cannon and you don't have cannonballs, they're worthless. Sort of kind of like having a gun with no ammunition. So they were able to sneak behind, capture a cannon, and then they couldn't use it because they didn't have any cannonballs. The battle continued on, and at one point, Tryon even had a bullet pass through his hat. How's that for a close call? Shots rang out from both sides, and eventually the regulators' ammunition supply dwindled, so many of them scattered. Some of those who scattered into the woods kept firing on Tryon's militia. So, what did Governor Tryon do? He ordered that the entire forest be burned down, which he did. So, Governor Tryon eventually took 13 prisoners, and one of them was executed right then and there, and his name was James Few, F-E-W. Tryon then executed six more later in Hillsborough. The remaining prisoners weren't hanged as long as they pledged their allegiance to the king. For the entire battle, it's estimated that about 20 people died from Tryon's troops and 60 or so were wounded. The regulators suffered only 9 dead, but had roughly 200 wounded. Battle statistics seem 
regardless of the war, to me, never to be 100% confirmed. I used to think that it's because it was so long ago, you know, they didn't keep track. But even when you look at recent wars, there's always a plus or minus margin, and there's always people missing, which seems crazy to me. I would think that if somebody is willing to give up their life for a cause, no matter what side you're on, they should be able to account for every single person. But apparently not so. I can kind of understand in the revolutionary uh, period because, you know, they didn't have driver's licenses, they didn't have ID cards and things like that. But man, they had census and they, they knew who had signed up through the muster rolls. What would it have been like to be there? Well, I have a video link in the show notes that may help you go and travel back in time. It's a weapons demonstration and it's quite impressive and it's done at Alamance Battlefield. There's also a list of all regulators and then another link that has a short bio of each person involved and what their job or duty was at the time. It's a pretty impressive collection that the North Carolina Historical Site put together and it's just one of the many links that you'll enjoy exploring, so make sure you check them out in the show notes. Now, let's get on to the Gatsby affair. Although very important, it's going to be a pretty quick discussion, but this event took place in June of 1772. It's sometimes called the first naval engagement of the war. Here we go, right? Claiming to be the first. Lieutenant William Duddington of Her Majesty's ship Gatsby was charged with patrolling the waters off the coast of Rhode Island. Now, Duddington had earned quite the reputation as an overzealous enforcer, boarding and detaining vessels and confiscating cargoes, often without charge, and without recourse for merchants whose goods were impounded. The losses were mounting, and it was widely believed that these harassments were directed specifically at members of the Sons of Liberty. Let's just say he may be considered one who let his badge go to his head. Basically, he didn't have any issue doing what he wanted, how he wanted, and when he wanted. So on June 9th, 1772, a local vessel out of Newport was underway to Providence when its captain baited the HMS Gatsby and led Duddington into very shallow waters near Warwick. The Gatsby, in fact, ran aground at a place which is now known as Gatsby Point. News of the grounding ship quickly reached Providence, and a man named John Brown immediately planned an attack on the ship. So the following evening, they actually boarded the Gatsby, wounding Duddington, and they took the entire crew as prisoners. Now, Wanting to know the details of his injury, I dug a little deeper. So, Duddington's injury appeared to have been to his left arm and abdomen. This is noted in his later petition to the Royal Navy for a pension regarding his wounds and limited use of his left arm. It is believed that the musket ball ricocheted off his arm and into his abdomen. I'm going to have to go with that because... Several other reports say he was shot in the leg. One said he was shot in the face. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to presume that 
what I just relayed to you is likely the accurate injury. Nonetheless, he was injured. All of the crew were taken ashore and forced to watch as they looted the ship for anything of value. And after that, they burned the ship. And this reminded me a little bit of John Hancock's ship, the Liberty, which we discussed back in episode 12. So what made this a bit odd is that not one person who climbed aboard and took things off the ship or were involved in this crime, none of them hid their identities. So because of that, Duddington and the crew could easily point out most of the participants. This really didn't matter. The local courts were not happy with, in fact, they were pretty much in opposition against the Royal Navy. And instead of prosecuting the perpetrators in this event, they actually charged Lieutenant Dunnington for illegally seizing goods, probably a charge that was long overdue. When this news reached Parliament back in England, they were less than happy. A special commission under the authority of the Vice Admiralty Courts was sent to apprehend the perpetrators of the Gatsby affair and then bring all of them back to England where they would have a trial. They were going to charge all of them with treason, which, if convicted, meant certain death. And though it was obvious and known who was involved, not one single arrest was ever made. And one of the biggest things that came out of the Gatsby affair was the real possibility that England could charge and arrest somebody or a group of people and then have the trial far, far from home. And the likelihood of ever having a fair trial in England was hovering around the chance of zero. The Gatsby affair is overshadowed by the Boston Tea Party that would take place 18 months later and again is what we'll be discussing on our next show. The Gatsby affair was significant in several ways. One is the fact that Rhode Island colonists made no attempt to disguise or hide themselves. And two, consider just how upset and fed up with England they must have been to make a decision to get boats, row out to the ship belonging to the Royal Navy, the largest and most powerful in the world, shoot a British naval officer, loot the ship, and then destroy it by lighting it on fire. The Gatsby Affair, like many events that led to the American Revolution and the War for Independence, was the result of oppressive and often short-sighted British policies. For decades, Britain had held on to an old, outdated economic theory known as mercantilism. And under this system, the colonies only existed for the benefit of the mother country. And although British officials believed that they were treating the colonies fairly, it often led them to act in an arrogant, belittling, holier-than-thou manner toward the colonists. And that led to resentment from the colonies and the colonists themselves and fueled the actions in the future, just like the Gatsby affair. Okay, you now have some serious knowledge of two significant events that are rarely discussed or covered. 
they're widely unknown, yet they both are integral in the building of the ladder that eventually led the colonies to climb out of being under Britain's control. As with every show, I put links for you to explore and take a deeper dive if interested. Each show note and link is included within each show's description. You can also see photos, maps, paintings that coincide with each episode. To view these, just visit my website, patriotpowerpodcast.com, and then click on Broadside or Show Notes. When you look through the notes, hopefully it helps make the events and people more real. And I really, really encourage you to explore those links. Our next show is going to cover the Tea Act and the Boston Tea Party. This will bring us to the year 1773. So until then, get caught up on any missed episodes, visit our online Patriot store to support my show, and hope that you have a very awesome upcoming week. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at PatriotPowerPodcast.com or ILoveGeorgeWashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.